Well, it's a brand new year, which means we get to begin again. Uh, look, if 2022 was a fantastic year for you, you get to begin again, do it all over. If 2022 was a horrible year for you, you get a brand new shot at it. We get to begin again. So today, uh, two important things. This is the last day in this worship center, and this is the first day of a new year. For, so for 23 years... Um, God has done some amazing things right here in this room. Thousands of people saved and baptized. I did the math. I preached right at 2,000 sermons right here. That is a whole lot of preaching, man. Godly men, so many godly men standing right here to teach the Bible. Decades, I mean decades of worshiping the Lord Jesus right here in this room. Uh, we've had dramas, we've had great fellowship, uh, we've laughed and we've cried and we've committed our lives to a deeper walk with God right here in this room. And those are all cherished memories for me and I know for you too, um, but I got to be honest with you, I, look, I, I'm far more excited about what God's going to do than what God's already done because we have a God who says, I am I am ever present, and he's always ready to give new blessings, do more mighty works, change more lives, bring more people to redemption. And I can't wait to see all that God's going to do. So next week will be a big change. Um, we are going to gather as our main worship space in the student ministry building. So that means if you only attend worship, if you only attend worship and you don't have a preschooler or an elementary school student, then you're going to park down at the lower lot at the student ministry building. So if you only attend worship and you don't have any elementary school or preschool students, this is a quiz. Where are you going to park next week? Yeah, I don't think y'all have a clue what you're going to do next week. All right, so let's go through it again. So next week, we're not going to gather in here. We're going to meet at the student ministry. So here's what that means. If you don't have any children and you only attend worship, you have to come in the back entrance. All right? Because if you come in the front entrance, you're not going to be able to get back to the lower lot. So come in the back entrance of the church property, and you're going to park in the lower lot next to the student ministry building. If you have preschoolers or elementary school students, or if you have a connection group that meets in the main building here, um, you have options. First, you're going to come in the main entrance and you're going to park in the upper lot or in the new lot or on the sides of the building. Then uh, you're going to either go to your connection group or check your children in. If you check your children in, you got options. You can walk down to the student ministry building or you can go to the overflow. If you have specifically preschoolers, if you are a preschool parent, we're going to make the preschool big room available, uh, which means you could 
um, drop off your kids in your, their preschool room, then go to the preschool big room and participate in worship there and pick your kids up and go. Um, so you have options, man. If you have elementary school kids, you can go to Overflow. It'll be playing on the displays out in the hallway. There's lots of ways. you. We are definitely going to have um, our uh, live stream going. So you got all kinds of options, right? You, you can worship in the student ministry building. You can worship in Overflow. You can worship in the preschool big room. You can worship in the hall. We're going to be, for the next few weeks, like the lost 12 tribes of Israel <laughs> scattered all over the earth. But God promised he would bring his people back to the promised land and the end times. So God promised we will come back into this worship center sometime. Now, I, you got options, so I'm telling you. But that may mean you have to park up here, check kids in, walk to the student ministry building, or find an option up here, or we have our live stream. Um, now, uh, I know that I told you that we would be back in a new worship center at the end of February. We are not going to make that date. Um, hopefully, we'll be in the new worship center by Easter. But if we're not, you know what, man? We're going to worship the Lord Jesus wherever we are. Amen? Amen. Yeah, that's right. And, and you know, God... Is, is in charge of these things. We make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps, and at just the right time, all this stuff's gone together. We trust the Lord. So today is the first day of a new year. Um, you know what? Th this could be the year that changes your life in so many ways. Some of you are going to get married. Yay! Some of you are going to become first-time parents. Some of you are going to become second time, third time, fourth time, fifth time parents. Or if you are like Pastor Jason Barrow or Pastor Jason Wilson, you could become sixth or seventh time parents. Now that is not an announcement. That is an illustration. Some of you are going to start new careers. Some of you are going to be called by God to full-time ministry. Some of you, uh, this will be the year that you finally have the marriage that you always wanted and the marriage that God's always wanted to, to, that he's always desired for you. Some of you are going to go through the deepest valleys of your life. Some of you will go through the death of somebody you dearly love and you'll wonder if you can ever have any joy in life again. But you will. Some of you will go through a divorce because the person you love betrayed and left you. Some of you will go through terrible relationship issues, but come out stronger on the other side. In all the blessings, in all the tragedy, we will discover that God's grace really is sufficient. So, this year, man, we're going to go through all kinds of changes. And changes can be both good and bad, but change is inevitable, right? And change is always a challenge. I mean, nobody likes change but a wet baby, right? 
Every time I say that, I think I've said that so many times, they're going to not even, just still laugh, man. Maybe you need to quit laughing, so I'll quit saying it. But change always comes, right? I mean, growing up, uh, when I was a kid, if you were going to watch TV, you had three options. There were three channels. And if you wanted to change the channel, you had to get your hind parts up out of the chair, walk across the room, and click, 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 click. I mean, and then eventually, I don't know how it was in your house, but in our house, the click knob, the channel change knob always broke. We were poor. We didn't have, we didn't have a knob money in our house. <laughs> so what you do is you get up, walk across the room, grab that pair of pliers that are on top of the TV, click, 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 click. Had somebody tell me after the first service, they said, yeah, it was worse than that in our house. Our TV would shock you when you used the pliers. <laughs> so we had to get a rag put over the knob, then turn it. <laughs> then along came cable. And by the way, did y'all know this? If you're young, you may not even know this. TV used to go off. 12 o'clock, man. They sang the national anthem. You were done. TV used to go off. Then along came cable. So you had 24-7 TV and lots of choices. Then we had VCRs, man, where you could record things and watch it whenever you wanted now, you don't even need a TV. I mean, think of how much change, changes there have been. We don't even need a TV, any device, anytime, anything you want to watch. And that gets a little bit weird because nobody ever does one thing at one time. I asked the family during Christmas vacation, hey, y'all want to watch a movie? Yeah, let's watch this movie. We sat down. I kid you not, everybody in the room was on their device through the entire movie. I mean, listening stuff with the volume up. I said, did you like the movie? They said, oh, it was great. How did you know? You didn't watch it. Crazy, man. Changes all the time. So today, all of us are beginning again. Every one of us. So what do we need as we face the changes that this new year will bring? What do we need to begin again? Well, here's the first thing. Write this down. We need faith that is growing. Hebrews 11:6 says, And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Man, if we're really going to have a God-honoring year, our faith can't be stagnant. Our faith must grow. So, so how do we do that? How do we keep growing in our faith? Well, here's what we do, man. Um, here's what we give to God in order to keep growing our faith. We give to God the first part of every day. I love this verse, Isaiah 54. The sovereign Lord has given me his word of wisdom so that I know how to confront the weary or comfort the weary Morning, look at this, morning by morning, he wakens me and opens my understanding to his will. I mean, you get that? I mean, man, you, you give God the first part of every day. I mean, you wake up, man, you spend time with God. You know what he's going to do? He's going to awaken morning by morning your understanding of him, and he's going to impart wisdom to you for that day. Well, what a powerful verse. That can be you. 
But it doesn't happen automatically. It requires that we start every day with God. That means we spend time in God's Word. I mean, the, the Bible is where we find out who God is, how He wants us to live, His purpose for our life. You can't grow in your faith in God without God, knowing God more, and you can't know God more without spending regular time every day in his word. The Bible is where we get the pure, unopinionated truth about God. Podcasts are great. I listen to a lot of them, but it's not the Bible. It's someone's opinion. They may be right, but it's not the Bible. Devotional books are great. I read them all the time. But they are someone's opinion. They may be right, but it's not the Bible. Let this year be. That, that, let this year be the year that the, the truth of God's word grabs you and and shakes you and molds you into the image of his son, the Lord Jesus. We make this so easy for, for you here. In fact, we challenge everybody every year, read through the Bible. Read the whole Bible this year. You know, if you go on our church website, man, there's a reading schedule. If you go on our mobile app, there's a reading schedule. Read the Bible. Study God's word. Do it every day, morning by morning. Prayer also needs to be a part of our everyday relationship with God. Um, you know what prayer is? Prayer is where the truth of God becomes personal. It's impossible to have a personal relationship with somebody you don't talk to. Do you see how these two things create a, I mean, a powerful dynamic in our lives? The Bible teaches us about God. Prayer makes it personal. I promise you, if you start every day with God, your faith will grow. We also need to give God the first day of every week. Uh, look at this. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. You know, it... Um, so if we start the first part of every day with God and we give the first day of every week to God, attend church, worship him. If we start every day with God, but now listen to me. If we start every day with God, but neglect the church, we will become a self-righteous person who thinks we are more spiritual than everyone else. Therefore, we don't need church. Church is where God teaches us it's not about us. It's not about me. So give God the first part of every day, first day of every week. Uh, to grow in our faith, we also need to give God the first part of our income. Uh, Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits." Of your produce. So whatever you, whatever wealth, whatever money you produce in your life, you give God the first part of that. I, I mean, you know what it does? Here's what it teaches us. That God is the owner and I'm the manager. Everything 
is God's. Everything I have belongs to the Lord God Almighty. Everything he provides for me is his. And then he asked me to give back a portion of that just to acknowledge that I understand he is my Lord. Um, giving teaches us that God's the owner. We are the managers. Um, sometime this year, I'm going to do something. Uh, I'm going to have a 30-day tithe challenge. Doesn't start tomorrow. I'm going to sneak up on you with it. But I'm going to challenge. If you're, Maybe you've never been a tither or you thought, I just, you know, I don't know how that's even possible. Sometime this year, we're going to have a 30-day tithe challenge just to prove that you, you can obey God with your money. Um, to grow in our faith, we also need this. We need to give God the first consideration in every decision. Um, look at this verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether, you, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. I mean, so everything we do should be for the glory of God, down to what we eat and what we drink. You know what that is? That's giving God the first consideration in every decision. Here's a real familiar couple verses to us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. I mean, that's so important that we're asking God which path to take. We're not just saying, God, okay, I'm taking this path. Now, it's my job to decide, God, and it's your job to bless my decision. That's not how a relationship with God works. We give God the first consideration in every decision. I guarantee you, if you'll give God these things this year, this time next year, you'll be a very different person. You know, when I was growing up, I used to look at people that I thought were really just spiritual people. I mean, people who seemed to really live for God. And it wasn't that I want, didn't want to do that or I didn't think I could. It was just like, it's, it, they were those people, this group of people, and I would look at them and think, I just can't be like that. It's not that I don't love God. It's not that I'm not a believer. It's not that I don't want to be that. It's just that, man, I just seem to struggle with things they don't seem to struggle with. But when I started getting real serious with my relationship with God, you know what I found out? That this group of people was a myth that they didn't even exist they struggled with the same things I did but Satan had lied to me enough to keep me from going all in with God by thinking I can never be that well they didn't think they could ever be that either and maybe you think you can never be that that person that is kind of all in for God and you see him and you go I wish I were like look you can be that and you can be that this year. You can do this. Hmm. Here's another thing we need to begin again. Relationships that are encouraging. Hebrews 3.13 says, but encourage each other daily. Well, that's, that's such a simple and such a powerful concept. I don't know anybody who doesn't need encouragement. I don't know anybody who doesn't need more encouragement if they get it every day. Encouragement is a powerful thing in our life. But encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. Wow. I mean, you get that? 
When you encourage somebody, you keep them from being hardened, their hearts being hardened, because they believe the lie that they've been deceived by Satan and sin. But when you encourage them, it reminds them that God is a good God, and they don't have to believe the lie. So we encourage each other daily, why it's still called day, so that none of you is hardened by sin's deception. I think all of us need four kinds of encouraging relationships in our life. We need an encouraging Savior. You know, sometimes we get this idea about God, that God just kind of watches us and just kind of goes, I'm watching. Don't mess up. Ah, I got you. You messed up. That's not who God is, and that's not how God relates to us. Let me challenge you to do this. I do this all the time. Let let, let me me challenge you to do this sometime. Just get on your knees along with God and just ask Jesus what he thinks of you. Then be quiet. I want to tell you what you'll find out. You have a very encouraging Savior. I guarantee you, he's going to say some very encouraging things to you because he loves you. We all need an encouraging Savior. We also, if you're married, you need an encouraging spouse. Man, um, nothing will strengthen your marriage more than for you to become an encouraging spouse. Just ask yourself, what does my spouse hear most from me? Criticism, complaints, sarcasm, or encouragement? What is it? I want to tell you something. If you're married, your spouse needs your encouragement. And you get to choose whether you're going to encourage your spouse or make them susceptible, sometimes be the instrument that causes them to believe Satan's lie and have a hard heart. How about this? We need encouraging friends. Has this ever happened to you? Um, At just the right time, just the right friend shows up and says just the right thing to you. Has that ever happened to you? And you just go, wow, that is just what I needed right now. Thank you so much. Be that friend. How about this? We need an encouraging group. Um, a few weeks ago when my dad died, um, man, our, our connection group, they brought us more food than we could possibly eat and, and other friends in the church. I mean, it was incredible how people loved on us with cards and phone calls and prayers. That's why we challenge you so much to get in an OBC group. There, there's a new calendar just starting, man. I mean, you need to get in a group. And if you will, I promise you, it'll be one of the most encouraging things you do this entire year. Now, let, let me kind of switch gears here. And I want to give you some real practical help about the relationships in your life um, to help you be an encouragement. Um, so four relationship rules to never break. Here's the first one. Compliment in public and correct in private. Has this ever happened to you? You're with somebody, maybe in a group, and there's a spouse, or maybe their kids or somebody, and, and they are just giving it to them. 
Uh, you ever been in that situation? And, you're, and it's awkward, man, and you kind of go, I don't know what to do. I can't get out of here. I mean, would you please stop yelling? I mean, it's crazy, right? I mean, it's just a rule. You don't ever break. Compliment in public, correct in private. How about this one? Never give a rebuke until you have proven you can receive one. Um, we used to have a saying about people like that. Uh, we used to say, uh, they can dish it out, but they can't take it. Right. I mean, we used to say, uh, they can dish it out, but they can't take it. You, you know people like that in your life, man, they're constantly criticized, constantly. But when you say something to them, they, they lose their minds. Yeah, don't be that person. Don't ever break that rule. Here's another rule to not ever break relationally. Uh, correct when they are up, not down. Because sometimes, man, we need correction. Sometimes we need people to love us enough to tell us the truth about what we're doing. And it's wrong. But you do that when people are up, not when they're down. So they can hear it. So it doesn't feel like you're just piling on. One more thing. Live by the golden rule. And Jesus in Matthew 7, 12 told us exactly what the, the golden rule is. Um, do to others what you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. I mean, how would life be if you just treated everybody the way you want to be treated? I want to tell you something. If you did that, you'd have more friends and you'd know what to do with. Here's another thing we need to begin again. Wisdom that is compelling. Look at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, and verses 20 through 23. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Wisdom shouts in the streets. She cries out in the public square. She calls to the crowds along the main street to those gathered in front of the city gate. How long, you simpletons, will you insist on being simple-minded? How long will you mockers uh, relish your mocking? How long will you fools hate knowledge? Come and listen to my counsel and I'll share my heart with you and make you wise. Wow. You, you know, wisdom is not something we either have or don't have. Wisdom is not something you're either born with or you're not born with it. I mean, Proverbs 1 says, wisdom is crying out in the streets. I mean, the wisdom of God is, is compelling you. Please listen to me. Please listen to me. Stop acting the way you're acting. It's destroying your life. Listen, I'll give you wisdom. Crying out in the streets. Wow. You know, it's a simple choice. You can live with God's wisdom that is available to anybody. James 1.5 says that if anyone, doesn't matter who it is, if anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask God, who will give it to you generously. God's never going to say, uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to give you any wisdom today. Never works that way. Anytime we go to God and say, God, I need wisdom about this, God's going to give it to us. So it's a simple choice. We can live with the... With the Wisdom that God wants us to have, he'll give it to us. Or we can just keep living like a moron. It's your choice. But I'm telling you something, man. 
If you're going to grow in your faith this year, if you're going to begin again in a way that honors God, you need the, the wisdom of God that's compelling. And it's available to you. One more thing that we need to begin again, and this is huge. You need a heart that is forgiving. I can't think of anything that will change the relationships in life and your life more than you deciding to be a forgiver. So for a believer, for us, God's people, for a believer, forgiveness is not an option. Forgiving is a command of God. Colossians 3 verse 12. Since God chose you, the holy people he loves, you must, must clothe yourself. Let, let that imagery set in. So Every day you, you get up, you take off the clothes, you sleep in, you put on the clothes that are going to be appropriate for that day. Maybe it's cold, you're going to dress warmly. Maybe it's hot, you're going to dress with cool clothing. Maybe it's wet. I mean, you know, every day you're going to clothe yourself in something. So let that imagery sink in a minute. You must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy. You know what mercy is? Give, not giving somebody what they deserve. Man, somebody comes at you, somebody gets up in your grill, man, and, and you show them mercy instead because you have wrapped yourself, you have clothed yourself in tender-hearted mercy, kindness. When somebody's ugly to you, you're kind to them. Humility, gentleness, and patience. I mean, just think, how would your life change if you live that way, where you clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy and kindness and gentleness and patience, humility. Verse 13 says, make allowances for each other's faults. That's, that's big. You, you, you know what Colossians is saying? Everybody you know has faults, Right? You don't know any perfect people. Everybody you know has faults, and sometimes those faults just get on your last nerve, right? I mean, you know what I'm talking about? But the Bible says, make allowances for those faults. So when those faults in the lives of the people you know are glaring, and they are landing on you, and it's getting on your last nerve... You don't respond in the flesh because you have clothed yourself with tender-hearted mercies and humility and gentleness and kindness and patience. So when their faults are landing on you, all those things that God gives you that, that are important relational traits, that's what you give back to them. And you know what that does? It makes the whole situation just go. Make allowances for each other's faults. Now here's the key. And forgive anyone. Anyone. But you don't know what they did to me. Anyone. Forgive anyone who offends you. How will that change your life? And remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. Those are 
powerful words. Do you remember that time the apostle Peter was getting a little cocky, man, about, you know, how spiritual he was? And, and he says to Jesus, you know, I think I'm going to forgive seven times. I mean, the law only requires three Seven times. Jesus, I'm forgiven seven. Here's what Jesus said. No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now, Jesus didn't mean 490. He just meant as many times as it takes, as many offenses as there are. You know, there are all kinds of misconceptions about forgiveness um, and what that means and how it impacts our lives. Um, there was a pastor preaching. His congregation was primarily an older congregation. And he asked them all, um, hey, uh, how many of y'all ever had to forgive an enemy in your life? Everybody raised their hand except this one lady who was 99 years old. So he just says, wow, that's incredible. You've never had to forgive anybody. Can you tell us? I mean, we'd like to learn. From, can you tell us how you lived 99 years without ever having to forgive anybody? She just said, I outlived all the old bags. <laughs> I think she missed the point. But there are so many misconceptions about forgiveness like these. Here are four forgiveness myths. Um, it has to be quick. Um, you know, oh, you, right, you got to forget. You gotta, oh, it just happened. You got to forget. Well, the wound is still bleeding. You got to forget. When did sin enter this world? Garden of Eden. When did God forgive sin? At the cross. Took a little time. Now, when I say that, please don't hear me say that you, you this is not an excuse for you to say, well, Pastor Steve's well, Pastor Shea said, I don't have to forgive him for a long, long, long time. Just because that way I'm being like God. So I'm just not ever going to forgive them until I die. And then right before I die, I'll forgive them. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying sometimes the pain is so great, forgiveness takes a little time. But as soon as you are able, you should. Because you pay the ticket for unforgiveness. Here's another forgiveness myth. I have to forgive and forget. Um, that's not even possible. That's a stupid thing to even say. I mean, our minds don't work that way where we just have a clear button where we can just forget things that people did to us that need forgiveness. Um, in fact, wisdom would say, don't forgive and forget. Wisdom would say, forgive and remember. So you can learn. So maybe those things won't happen again. How about this? Forgiveness is condoning. Well, if I forgive them, they're just getting by with it. If I forgive them, they're just going to, I'm just going to be like a doormat to them. And they're just going to walk all over me. Forgiveness is not condoning. And I've had people say this to me. Somebody has to pay. Somebody did pay. Jesus. And because Jesus forgave us after all of our offenses, that is the very thing by which we forgive other people. 
Forgiveness is not condoning. Forgiveness is acting like Jesus. Forgiveness equals reconciliation. Because sometimes we think, well, if I forgive that person, you know, I have to engage in this relationship with them again. And so this is really important to understand. Forgiveness takes one person. If you forgive somebody, it's a command of God, and you obey God and forgive them, they don't even get a vote whether or not you forgive them. Right? I mean, they don't even get a vote. You just forgive them. That takes one person. Reconciliation takes two people. It takes two people on the same page with God at the same time where God's doing the same work in both of them where there can be repentance and reconciliation and forgiveness. So forgiveness is always possible. Reconciliation is not always possible. But listen to me. Nothing, nothing so characterizes the true nature of Christians as forgiveness. Because nothing so characterizes the nature of Jesus. Jesus' most striking and humanly incomprehensible words from the cross were, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I mean, wow. While he is bearing the very sin of the people who are murdering him, he forgave them. So let's just kind of bring that home. How do I know when I need to forgive? Well, here's the first thing. Here's just some tests you can give yourself to know when you need to forgive somebody. First thing is the blame test. Um, Do you ever blame someone else for your unhappiness? My life is a train wreck and it's their fault and if they hadn't and they should and why don't they? Man, that's just a sign. You need to forgive them. Here's another test, the, the, the bitterness test. That's just, have you been keeping score? You know, man, okay, I, I get it. That goes on my list. That's one. All right, you did something good for me now or even. Now, I got five and you got one, so man, you got, you got some catching up to do. I mean, are you keeping score? You know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness is giving up my right to punish someone. Forgiveness is giving up my right to get even. Now, this is huge. If you listen, say amen. Really, I mean, really living for Jesus means I value forgiveness more than I value being right. That's what Jesus did. Jesus is always right. But he didn't withhold forgiveness because he was right. He gave it freely. There's also the behavior test. Do you ever find yourself reacting towards someone, not because of what they've done, but because they remind you of somebody who hurt you? So all bosses are bad because... You had a boss who treated you terribly. All men or all women are bad because one hurt you badly. 
Even worse, you, you encourage someone else to think badly about their spouse because your spouse hurt you. Get out of that marriage. Don't stay in that marriage. I'm going to say something some of you just aren't going to like at all. Sometimes God wants you to stay in a bad marriage. Sometimes that's God's will. That's a whole other sermon. We'll get to that later. You're thinking about that right now, getting mad. Just go ahead and get over it. I forgive you. <laughs> Sometimes our resentment against a parent who we've never been able to express our feelings or forgiveness to now becomes... Anytime your spouse or somebody you love acts like that parent, you transfer all those years of resentment onto that person. Are you letting a past relationship destroy a present one? You don't have to carry all that junk around. Forgiveness is the answer. Let this year be the year you forgive and release the pain that you've been carrying around way too long. Make 2023 the year that you're going to really grow in your faith, that you're going to learn to be an encourager, that you're going to live with God's wisdom, and that you're going to be a forgiver. And I promise you, you're going to have a fantastic year. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the truth of your word that guides us and Lord, we uh, ask that this year, God, both individually and as a church, will be a year that by the time it's over, God, we will say only God could have done that. And we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's stand and worship.